Today's episode of Raising Adults is brought to you by the Homeschool Buyers Co-op, which is the largest buyers club for homeschoolers in the country. It's run by homeschoolers who have a love for family and a deep commitment to homeschooling. And what the Homeschool Buyers Co-op does is give families the purchasing power of school districts, which means that you get 10 to 90% off of curriculum. Plus, registration is free, and they have a ton of free resources available as well. They also have a smart points reward system, so the more you buy, the more you earn. And if you register for your free account with our referral code, which is ADULTS, A-D-U-L-T-S, you will get 5,000 smart points right away, which basically gives you $5 to spend on the site immediately. So register for your free account today and use our referral code, ADULTS, by going to homeschoolbuyersco-op.org. That's homeschoolbuyersco-op.org. Well, hey, everyone, and thanks for joining us on Raising Adults podcast. We are in week two of our two-week break between seasons, and we are replaying for you our discipline episode. It was extremely popular at the time that it aired, and we really feel like it pairs nicely with the replay that we ran last week on emotional intelligence. So much of what Dina and I talk about is actually marrying these two. How do we create good boundaries and then leave lots and lots of room for feelings in the middle of all those boundaries? So we hope you enjoy the replay of today's episode, and we look forward to being back with you next week for the start of season four. What happens when two parent coaches, one a Christian and the other an agnostic Jew, sit down to talk about parenting? They take their listeners from surviving to thriving. I'm Dina Thayer. And I'm Kira Dorian. Welcome to Raising Adults, a podcast brought to you by Future Focused Parenting. Welcome to Raising Adults. We are tackling a pretty big topic today. We're going to talk about setting boundaries with your children and even what happens if they do something that you've decided in your family is not okay and you need to discipline for it. So we're going to be addressing those pretty strategic issues that you'll have to think through hopefully in advance because if you're doing this on the fly, it doesn't go nearly as well. And I think we also run the risk as parents of then sometimes letting our own emotions win the day and parenting or disciplining from a place of our own frustration or anger, which is not great. So we wanted to make sure to talk about how to have a strong why and intention around boundaries and discipline, but also give some practical ideas of how that might look with several options because we know every family is different. Yep, absolutely. So I would like to begin, if I may, by repeating myself, because we talked in season one a little bit in one of the episodes about boundaries, but it wasn't a specific episode dedicated to boundaries or discipline. I can't remember what episode it was on, but we did talk about it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I feel like I kind of want to go over that again in case people missed that episode or they're just dropping into this one. Um, Why boundaries are so important why discipline is so important. And I don't want our listeners to hear the word discipline and mistake that for authoritarianism or being unkind or not loving or not warm, right? That's not what we mean. Discipline to me means setting strong boundaries and keeping my children within those boundaries, right? Setting expectations and having consequences for them not fulfilling or meeting those expectations. Um, And the reason that boundaries are so important, and this is the part I'm going to repeat, so forgive me for listeners who've already heard me go on about this, but if you think about a baby in utero, they have very strong boundaries. They kick out their little elbow or their little foot, and they can literally feel where the edge is, and so they feel safe and held. Mom's got me. I'm safe. 
When they come into the world, one of the reasons that children are always testing boundaries is for that same reason. They're sticking their foot out. It's just not a foot. It's their sass or whatever yeah. it is, right? And they're checking to see, have you got me? Am I safe? And those boundaries are what make children feel safe. And so if you as a parent are wishy-washy and unpredictable, they don't feel as safe because in an emergency – they're not sure that they know what you're going to do. They're not sure that you've got them. Whereas if you're the kind of parent who is consistent and sets safe, strong boundaries, then they know that you've got them. Now, we've talked about this before in this episode, that setting strong boundaries to both of our minds also means giving a lot of room in the middle. So it's not setting strong boundaries and then setting strong more boundaries in the middle. It's you set a nice strong parameter and then what happens within there is free and open and communicative and, and all of those things. So it, it is that it's finding that balance that's really important. And that was certainly for me the why behind my discipline strategy was I wanted my kids to feel safe. I wanted them to feel like I had them. And I also wanted them to be successful in the world. And we are in a world that sets boundaries that we need to understand how to work within, that we are in a world that gives out consequences. And if we don't understand that life has natural consequences and we're not experiencing those natural consequences as we grow, I would be setting my children up for a fall. And I didn't want that. So that's my why. Well, and it's really true. You also haven't equipped them to deal with what they're going to come across. They will not know how to deal with it because they haven't been exposed to it. So giving children an opportunity to experience choices and the consequences of those choices in their home environment while they're young and even as they start to test those boundaries is so important because they're going to come across that in life. But here's what I really love that you said, because this dovetails with my why, is that for me, discipline was actually one of the biggest ways I say to my kids, I love you. And I think we can easily get the misconception, especially with the word discipline. I think it's a bit of a loaded word. It has some negative connotations, unfortunately, because self-discipline is actually a great thing to develop in your children, is that we can get this misunderstanding that it's mean or it's being unkind or when you have a child acting out, you say, well, I don't really want to stop that behavior because they might think I'm not nice. It's actually one of the most loving things you can do for them. And I love that you describe that safety. So it really is essentially just like putting some scaffolding around them so that they're safe and making sure that when they test the scaffolding, it doesn't fall down. Yep. That's a good way to love your children. It's not being mean. So for me, that was my big why is I want to tell you I love you in all things, including when you test things or when you go outside the bounds of what's okay, that I bring you lovingly back in. And so that was a huge thing. My kids, they might still remember this, actually. I'll have to ask them. But I used to even talk to them about the safe bubble. And so that when they did something wrong, they were outside their safe bubble. And we did use faith terminology for this. But if you like the analogy, you certainly wouldn't have to. Safe bubble is enough in itself. But we did talk about, oh, we're outside of what God wants for us. So I got to bring you back in there with your consequence. And they would even say that back to me. Oh, I think I went outside of my safe bubble. And so there was language for them to grab onto as well, but it was communicating love and safety. It isn't about being a stinker because I do think parents can misuse their position in their kids' lives, and that's unfortunate. That's not what we're talking about. Right. Yeah. It, it's a There's a balance to be had, right? So we don't want to swing so far into 
love and compassion that we're not setting good, strong, safe boundaries, but we don't want to set so many boundaries that we're not showing love and compassion. Absolutely. And I think that is key to doing this well is that balance. They have to know it's coming from a place of love. Oh, it's because mommy cares about me that she's going to make sure I don't do this thing over here that isn't good for me. Mm -hmm. And that's an important thing to communicate too. That was a big piece of my why is that as I love you, I love you enough to not let you do that thing that would make you grow up to be a stinker. I want you to grow up to be a great, fully functioning, kind, compassionate, responsible adult, Mm -hmm. not someone who's just out for their own gain and isn't considering others. So that's loving them well to make sure they stay in those boundaries. And I feel like of almost all the topics we have covered in our podcast, this is one of the ones that has the biggest, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like the biggest likelihood. Potential. Potential. Thank you. It has the biggest potential for parents to feel like I am not getting to do what's easiest. I am having to do what's best. Discipline is fucking hard. If ever there was a time to use the F-bomb, it is on this topic. Discipline is hard. And it is the, it is definitely those times where you're thinking to yourself, oh my gosh, it would be so much easier for me to just let this go. Oh my goodness, it would be so much. You know what? Just, just eat the candy that I told you not to have. Just go ahead. But it is the most likely to undermine everything that you as a parent are working towards. Those moments, I think, are definitive. So it's the hardest and also the most important. Most important. And I couldn't agree more. And the other thing that's hard about discipline is consistency. Yes. So once you've decided whatever it is, and we'll get into more nuts and bolts in a minute, I'm sure. But once you've decided whatever that consequence is, then doing it over and over. I remember going through a season where I felt like all I did all day was tell Sienna not to touch the coasters on our coffee table. I mean, that is so dumb, but that is literally, that felt like that was my life. Mm -hmm. That's all it was. It consists of saying the same thing over and over and wondering why I feel like a broken record. But consistency is what matters because it's, again, sending the message, I've got you, I've got you, I've got you. Yep. Oh, that that line, it's still there. Right. It's still there. Well, and here's the thing, like, I, I... I don't know why you didn't want her to touch the coasters, but it's sort of irrelevant because I think sometimes what happens is you end up saying no to something small like coasters, like, please don't touch the coasters. And then you sort of have to hang on to this thing because you need you're not just teaching them about coasters anymore. At a certain point, it's like. And I'm actually teaching you that when I say no, I mean no. So I'm going to hang on for dear life to this coaster thing, which really at a certain point, I don't know for you, but for me, like at a certain point, I've had things where I'm like, I actually don't care enough about this particular topic anymore, but I care enough about them, especially when they were small, learning when mommy says this, she, she means, means this. It. End of story. Mm-hmm. And that's where it it is important. And because I mentioned that funny example, I am going to say there was a reason. It was because I did, many of you have probably heard of house proofing mm-hmm. or baby proofing. I did the opposite and I, ba- I house proofed my children. So instead of baby proofing my house, we didn't do locks or gates or whatever. But I wanted to be able to bring them to other people's homes and know they weren't going to knock things over, break them. So we trained at home for them to be able to function at other people's homes. So I knew I could say a quick don't touch and they wouldn't. Right. So it did have a larger connotation. But yeah, that probably sounded really funny. No, but still, it doesn't matter. It actually doesn't matter whether it was silly or not. When they are small, the, the what you're teaching is I mean what I say. 
Well, and isn't that an important loving lesson too? Yeah, because when I say I love you, I also mean I love you. I also mean that. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Good point, Dina Thayer. Good point. (laughs) Yep. So I will say that it looks different for us now at seven than it did when they were tiny. So, And I don't have nearly as many years of disciplining as you do. So I'm just going to breeze through mine and then you can go on to your how. But when they were tiny, 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 even babies, as soon as they could pick up something, whatever it was, I started disciplining. And so little things, a great example, and I have twins so that we dealt with sharing immediately. Right Right out of the gate. Right out the gate. Um, And so it was things like, um, let's say Reese would pick up a toy, Rhiannon would want to play with it. Let's say he's 10 months old, okay? Like way too little to have any concept of anything. And he doesn't know what sharing means. Fine. But here's the thing. I don't love when I hear people say, well, they don't know anything about sharing. Nope, they don't. I'm going to teach them. (laughs) That's right. And here's your job. Right. And so it may take them a long time to get there, but I'm going to lay this foundation now. So if he didn't want to share the toy with Rhiannon, I would say, you need to share. And I would sort of do a hand motion to to sort of show what that meant. You need to share. And if he didn't, oh, you need to share. I would warn twice. And then the third time, I would take the toy away. And it would go in a toy timeout. And I would put it on the counter and say, the toy's in a timeout if you cannot share it. And it was a lot of those kinds of things when they were small, letting them physically see Mm -hmm. the consequence of not doing what mom has asked of them. Um, I remember as a result of this, I went to see my friend uh, Will ran a big event center at at the time that my kids were small. We went to go see him. And I the kids wanted to run over this like massive long hallway and um I asked Will is it okay if if they run and he said yeah sure and so they started running and I said okay stop and they were like 18 months old and they both stopped and he was like how did you get your kids to do that but the way I got my kids to do that was over those 18 months they had learned if you don't follow what I'm asking then we can't do that thing anymore and that's sucked. I mean, it's so hard the number of times we had to leave somewhere or I felt like, oh, you know, you're only so small. Like, mm-hmm. I hate that I'm taking that toy away. But as a result, my kids picked this stuff up really quickly because it was so consistent. And it was always with love. I never yelled. I was never angry or upset with them. It was just, oh, there's a natural consequence. I mean what I say. I, I need you to pick that up. If you don't pick that up, then I'm afraid I'm going to have to take it away. Right. That that kind of thing. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, I, I love a couple things there. One is the starting so young, because really, as soon as they can do something undesirable, we can start redirecting. And of course, gently and in love. But as soon as it happens, rather than waiting, because here's a little truth nugget. Sometimes when a child is doing something wrong and they're little, it's actually kind of cute. But what's cute at two is not so cute at four and becomes really stinkery by eight. And let me tell you, you don't even want to deal with it as a teenager. So it's way better to start laying this foundation early as soon as they're testing those boundaries so that you don't have something that looked cute a few years ago and suddenly is really undesirable behavior and you're pretty late to the game to change it. Right. And then as the kids have gotten older, our focus has really been on finding the most natural consequence. So, you know, when they were tiny, they didn't understand the word consequence. I would use it, but of course they didn't understand what that meant. Once they got old enough that we could say, 
you know, I'm afraid that if you do that again, we're going to have a consequence. Now, for my kids, they're a lot like me when I was little. Oftentimes, that's enough to get the behavior to stop because they don't like consequences. Um, But I think we've talked about this in other episodes. Most of the time, the consequences in our home are the loss of a privilege. A lot of the things that they get to do day to day, in my opinion, is a privilege. Your television time is a privilege. Your time with your friends is a privilege. Going out for dinner is a privilege, right? My job is to feed you and love you and protect you and pretty much everything else is a privilege. So oftentimes, if we do have to dole something out, we are giving a natural consequence. So I'll give you a great example. And I'm not going to lie. I actually got this from our mutual friend, Yetta. (laughs) When uh, the kids were two, one of my children, I will not out them, one of my children threw a massive two-year-old tantrum. I think they were two and a half and pulled down their bookcase like managed to pull down a bookcase, books all over the floor, toys everywhere. I mean, just like massive destruction. Wow. And I called Yetta and I was like, Yetta, I, I don't know what to do. And she said, well, it sounds to me like if they can't value their things, they don't get their things. And I was like, yes. And so we took all of the toys and all of the books and moved them outside of the bedroom into boxes. And slowly but surely, as this child showed us that they could value their things, they earned all of their things back. Let me tell you, this child has never, ever, ever done that again. And that was hard. And again, it was done with love. I didn't freak out. I didn't yell and scream. I just said, you know, it looks to me like you don't value your things. So we're going to need to take them away for a while, and hopefully you can earn them back and learn to value them again. And as hard as that is as a parent, right, I felt like a total a-hole, like, you know, (laughs) not nice, right? But you're teaching that that behavior is not acceptable. And at the end of the day, if, if my kid grew up to be the kind of person that thought, I mean, and these people exist, we see them, right? They smash windows, mm-hmm. they key cars. So I don't want that. So mm-hmm. I have to teach that that destructive behavior is not acceptable. And me simply saying that's not okay in a situation that big, it isn't going to be enough. No, it wouldn't have been. I completely agree. There are times where words are enough. And then there are times where there has to be some action behind it. And a really important thing that you touched on and I want to flesh out is that we've talked a little bit about this. When you say it, you mean it. And you said that for your kids, often saying there's going to be a consequence is enough. And that's because they've learned that you mean it. And because if they I've gone do it, through it, with the consequence. Right. You I'm not followed through. So empty threats are really something we would say to avoid. If you say there is going to be a consequence, and believe me, I'm all for a warning. I think coming out of the blue with a consequence really isn't fair to the child. And also, it's skipping the teaching component. There's a teaching component here when something is going wrong. We want to tell them, hey, here's why that's not okay. And if it happens again, here's what's going to happen. So they deserve that warning for the teaching piece. But then if you say something is going to happen, it has to. Your kids have learned to believe you because you have followed through in the past when you've said something's going to happen. Hey, this is going down. And then it does. So they believe you. And oh, my, the fruits of that are worth it. It is very, very hard work in the moment and in the season. And I would say it's not just a day or two. I mean, it's months of this. But then when you're able to say, hey, if this happens again, here's what I'm going to need to do. And they believe you enough to make a course correction. It says a lot about the work that's been done in the past. Well, and I, I, I totally agree. And what I want to add is the flip side to this. So the other thing that I have been doing since they were small is positively reinforcing the good behavior. I didn't want the only thing that they heard me do be disciplining them. Mm-hmm. So when I noticed that they were listening, 
I would say great listening if they did what I said. Great listening. Gosh, you guys are such good listeners. From nine months old, I was doing this. They didn't know what I meant. But over the time, they learned that when they were doing something right, I was going to tell them. And so I think that that balance is really important so that they're not just hearing you criticize or correct. They're also hearing you positively reinforce. And that helps them figure out, am I doing what is within expectations or not. Because if mom's telling me I'm doing it, okay, then I know that I can keep behaving like this because this is good. And then if mom's saying I shouldn't be, well, then that probably means I shouldn't be because she was usually really good at telling me when I'm doing what I should be doing. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Oh, absolutely. I It, it makes perfect sense. And the other thing I think it, that is important here, even just kind of as a tip that goes along with what you just said is also when you're asking for a certain behavior to phrase it positively. So whenever I could, I avoided things like don't run. I would say use your walking feet. So saying what I want to see rather than stop doing what I don't want to see. And whenever I could, I did that. When I did need to say a no, and here's another tip I have loved and I adopted this and love it, love it, love it, is I really am careful to save my no. I did not say no very much. I used the actual, like I said, I spent all this time teaching Sienna don't touch. And I would even sign to her about don't touch and things like that so that it was specific to what was happening. Because if she were ever to run out in the street or reach for a hot stove, I wanted to know that if all that came out was no, she would stop dead in her tracks or he in the case of my son. So I really was careful with no. I see a lot of parents who kind of use no as the blanket for everything. And it's not really providing a lot of specific instruction to the child. And then I think the no loses its value. They get somewhat desensitized to it. And they could say it at a time where they really mean it. There's maybe something dangerous. And the parent says no. And the kid's like, I hear that all the time. I'm not going to stop. Yeah, that's really smart. I, I always said no, thank you. And this really nice, like, oh, no, thank you. So that the same thing, if I screamed it, it was going to jolt them. But I usually then jumped to whatever it was that I wanted them to do. Oh, no, thank you. Shoes go in the shoe drawer, you know, or whatever, whatever the thing was that I was correcting. Um, but I think, yeah, the positive, asking in a positive way, again, so that they don't feel like they're messing up or they're, you know, they're learning. And I say that to my kids all the time, like, you're still learning. And even when I'm doling out a consequence, I'll be like, guys, it's okay. You're still learning. I have to give you a consequence because that's part of how you're going to learn. But I love you no matter what. You're, you're still learning. I'm still learning. We all make mistakes. In fact, I just did a little one of those little quizzes with my kids that you can do where you ask them questions oh, and yes. you write down their answer. And one of them was, what's something I say all the time? And Reese's answer was, you can't get through life without making mistakes. <laughs> and, like, and we've even talked oh, about good. that on the podcast. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, so that was really the, – the, the balance of the two was really important to me. And then the thing that I'm finding myself doing a lot now, because my kids are older and over the years they have – proven to me to be great kids who tend to do the right thing, want to actively do the right thing. So I'm finding myself actually being more lenient now um, and giving, you know, like if, if it, something happens the first time, I will often say, you know, I'm not going to give you a consequence this time, but if that happens again, I'm going to have to give you a consequence. Um, but I know that you probably didn't realize that wasn't okay, and I want to give you an opportunity to learn from that mistake. And that's been really helpful, too, I think, because they're seeing me recognize they've earned the right to have a little more 
leeway. Um, but in those early years, there was just no wiggle room. I, did, I didn't feel like there could be any wiggle room for me to lay this really strong foundation. Now I feel like we're reaping the benefits of that because it's sort of like you talk about, you know, that you can loosen and loosen and loosen with every year because loosen those boundaries because they are gaining more and more responsibility and have learned more and more as the years go on. Oh, absolutely. And that's how it should go. A really good way to think of it is almost like an upside down triangle. And if you think about it in the beginning, you're at the bottom and there's a point that the the kids don't have very much wiggle room and it should go out as they get older. So as those legs of the triangle go out, they have increasing freedom. The interesting thing is that parents who try to grant too much freedom too soon often then have to kind of go backwards down the triangle. And that really cramps a kid's style, particularly if they're like a middle schooler. They will resent that. And so it's far better to start small and grant those privileges as you see the commensurate responsibility with it. And then you're not having to backtrack. And so what's great is you're starting to see some positive things in your children. You're saying, hey, the overall track record here is positive. I'm going to reward that. And yet it wasn't like they had all this freedom immediately when they were two. So I, I do see parents sometimes getting that a little bit backwards. We also see that, I think, sometimes with the friend dynamic, trying to be your child's friend. If you try, I, I hope all of us will get to be our children's friend one day. I mean, I know that's certainly my goal, and I'm, I'm getting to move into some of that, which is very sweet. And it's a great reward for all the hard work earlier when I was exhausted. But trying to do that too soon, inverting that, I think sometimes can cause a parent to lose out on that privilege later. And then we don't have that special opportunity to be their friend when they're adults. Yeah. Well, and I also think that, you know, one of the things I say a lot to myself is it's not my job to be their friend. It's my job to be their mom. And it's okay if my kids don't like me sometimes. And that's hard for any parent because goodness knows we work so hard, all of us. I mean, almost every parent I know is doing the absolute best that they can and wants the absolute best for their little people. And so in those moments, it's like, I don't I don't want to be the bad guy and I don't want to be disliked or hated, but I'm trying to keep that future focus mentality of that's too bad for me. I didn't choose to be a parent to have a bestie. I chose to be a parent to raise a good human being that's, that's right. going to contribute to the world. And in those moments, coming back to what I said earlier, as hard as it is, it is keeping that mindset of this is really, really hard right now, but I have to do it short-term pain, long, long, long-term gain. Huge long-term gain. And when you start to see that, and look, you know, your children are only seven and you're already seeing it. So it really, in the grand scheme of life, yes, when you're in the trenches, it feels like forever. But if you can step back even for a moment and get that big picture, which is what being future focused is about, is being able to think long term and big picture. Really, it's a few years in a long season of parenting that will have and pay huge dividends. So it's very much worth it. And one other thing I... Because we don't do it very often, I'm going to say something that will risk ruffling some feathers, which is I would just encourage, kind of challenge you to think through as a parent, if you ever say the sentence, insert your child's name here, won't let me dot, dot, dot. Oh, yeah. Please challenge that mentality because 
if you are the parent and you're setting up these lovely and loving boundaries, it really isn't about whether they'll let you because now you've reversed it, right? Now somehow they've become the boss. Yeah. And I know, especially because I work with a lot of newer families, I hear a lot of things like, well, they won't let me put them down or they won't let me have them sleep without holding them. or, And it's a very interesting choice of words to me. And I think we can challenge our thinking a little bit to say, if you really believe your child won't let you do something, what is that actually maybe saying about you and I, how you're handling the boundaries? I am so glad you said that. I couldn't agree more. But here's – I want to add something to that because I think what you just said is brilliant. And I think that the the key to that is – honoring and hearing what your children have to say, right? Even your baby. Mm -hmm. Okay. I have a baby who doesn't like it when I put them down. I can honor that and say, wow, my baby really doesn't like that. Or my seven-year-old. If my seven-year-old says to me, I really don't want to do this or I really don't like to do that, I can hear them. I can take the time to really, truly hear them. I say to my kids all the time, I'd like to hear what you think. Your opinion really matters to me, but I'm going to make the final decision. And that's the key. You get to do the letting. You are the one who's in charge, but that also doesn't mean that you're the authoritarian Steamroll your children. Exactly. It's I want to hear you. And you can verbally say that. I love that line. I really want to hear your thoughts. Your opinion really matters to me, but I want you to know that I'm going to make the final decision. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's it's huge. And I still say something similar to that to my teenagers. Like you have a voice here, but until you move out and you're on your own, I'm I have the final say on some of these bigger things in your world. And so it's it is about that balance. And I also want to say with that, while I do encourage challenging that kind of thinking and, and even the words you use about letting and all of that, this particular episode, I want to say it's really important to me. And I think you would agree that our goal here is not to perpetuate any kind of parenting guilt. We have to have grace for ourselves. This stuff is really, really hard. And to do it the same day after day and to have that consistency and to have that follow through is not easy. And we're not here to buy into making parents feel yucky. What we're here to do is encourage you, give you some practical tips and ideas and say, actually, you can do it. It really can be done. And if there are areas, though, that you know, hey, that's not a strength for me, we encourage you to look at those. Take a look. See what maybe you could change. Are there tweaks or course corrections you can make? But really, the excellence comes from diligence over time. It's not just one thing. It's going to happen over time. So be kind to yourself. Have grace when you take a step back or slip backwards. Oh, it's two steps forward, one step back. I did that thing again. Or I disciplined in anger. Or, Which can we just both be honest and say we've done that? Who has not done yes. that? I have totally done that. Yes. I'm raising two hands. Two hands. Yeah. Absolutely. And regretted it, but it, it, it no one is immune. So don't no. sit here and think, you know, that, oh, gosh, I've done that. So have we. Because here's the truth. As much as you love your kids, they also have a unique ability to hack you off like almost nobody else. They are going to push buttons you didn't even know you had. Uh, You're like, oh, I didn't even know I had that button. And you pushed it. Yeah. So, Hard. Yeah. <laughs> No, I, I lo- I'm so glad you said that. I think that's just beautiful and, and well put. I'm curious because you have teenagers and I want to wrap up here, but um, I, if we have listeners that don't have little ones, mm. right? So their their triangle is inverted. And so what can they do? What can you do? You mean if you've actually found yourself, had to go backwards, yeah, rein it or, in, and they're upset about it? they're listening and they're like, oh, I should do that. But my kids are 10. Yeah. You if, know, what do you think? Yeah. If you feel like you're late to the game, yeah. I think the great thing about having older kids is you can tell them that. You can say, you know, there's some things I've been doing 
or maybe in this case, things I haven't been doing that I should have. And I need to let you know some things are going to look different around here. And, and then you have to weather, yep. right, the hardship. Because they're going to have some feelings about that. For a while. And that's the thing. It's the short-term pain, long-term gain, right? So you got to, like, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and be like, the next month is going to stink. But the hopefully the years thereafter are going to be better. And this, I'm really glad you said this near the end because this actually goes with my closing thought. I think most people, most of our listeners have heard that my goal is actually that my kids don't have rules by the time they're 16. And I already- now my goal too. (laughs) I have stolen your goal. (laughs) Come on in, join the goal. And so I already have one past that age. And so it becomes really different when, when she has a misstep. Because I'm not able to just rest on, well, the the thing on the fridge says, you know, we don't have that anymore. But your influence is still very powerful here. And so that's what I love is because she's had strong scaffolding around her, even though the scaffolding is starting to come off, I can still say, you know, that didn't really work well for me. And you can appeal to other things. So keep that in mind that... It's a courtesy thing as well when you live in a home with people. I'm able to appeal to that. Oh, that's a courtesy to let me know where you are so that I don't worry. So the next time you ask to do something, I'm not going to be able to say yes to that. Not because of a rule. Mm -hmm. It's the rule. No. It's, hey, that really wasn't courteous. So you can appeal to other things. And remember your your ability as you move slowly from parent to friend, there's this beautiful in-between that's kind of like a coach. You can coach them along. You come alongside. But you still have a measure of influence. And I would encourage people to go ahead and utilize that. It's there to help them become great young adults. And this goes with my closing thought, which is – And I'm sure people have heard this little phrase before, but it's that rules without relationship equals rebellion. And we talked in our last episode about family time and the importance of spending time together and enjoying each other. You have to have the relationship for them to even want to respect the rules or you are going to find that you will have a child or a teen who really butts up against that because they're looking at you and saying, we don't have a relationship that allows you to speak like this into my life. So just keep that in mind. Rules without relationship equals rebellion. Build the relationship so that you have that ability to enforce the rules. Love it. Love it. Well, thanks for being with us today. As always, if you have questions or you want to write in, you can email us info at futurefocusedparenting.com. On our website, you can also sign up for the attribute of the month. The attribute this month is kindness. And if you want to follow us on Facebook or Instagram, our handle is at Raising Adults Podcast. And last but not least, if you haven't rated and reviewed the podcast, please do. We love seeing those and we're grateful for every single one of them. Raising Adults is produced by Kira Dorian and Dina Thayer and recorded in my laundry room. Music by Seattle band Hannah Lee. Thanks for listening.